take out your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. And as you do that, I want to take a moment to set a little context on where we are in the earthly ministry of Jesus. We know at this point that he's in really the final three months of his ministry. He's under heavy opposition. And the last time we were together, we saw that Jesus was in Jerusalem. And this is where he attended the Feast of the Tabernacles and he healed the man that was blind since birth. After he left Jerusalem, he went over to Bethany uh, to visit with Mary and Martha. And when he was there, scripture says that he retreated to the area where John the Baptist was baptized. That was Bethany beyond the Jordan. And there it says Jesus continued to do ministry and many people continued to follow him and to come to saving faith in him. But while he was there, he heard about the death of his good friend, Lazarus. And so Jesus leaves Bethany beyond the Jordan, heads back to Bethany to minister to Mary and Martha, and ultimately, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And after he does this, his life is threatened. He retreats up to Ephraim. He's there for a while, then ultimately goes back across the Jordan River into this general area over here called Perea. And while he's in Perea, Jesus continues to minister. We see his interaction with the Pharisees talking about the issue of divorce. We see him blessing children. And is about, at the time he's about to head out of Perea, back to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross, his exit out of the city is interrupted by a young man that runs up to him and has a burning question to ask him. And what I want to do is to spend our time today talking about this interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler and seeing how that applies to our lives today. So to say, Bible's to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 is where we're going to start. First part of um, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So Jesus is nearing the end of the ministry. So it's undoubtedly that this young man had heard about what Jesus has done over the last three years. The resurrection, the teaching, the healing, right? We see this in his sense of urgency. He goes running to Jesus right out in public and falls to his knees on the ground because he's got this, this question that's kind of burning a hole in his heart that he has to have Jesus answer. And look what he asks him in the second part of verse 17. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, what we'll see in this um, this passage is throughout the passage that this young man has a lot of things going for him, a lot of things going for him, but he does not have certainty about what is going to happen eternally with his life. Now, he's all set from a material standpoint. He's wealthy, but there's something missing inside of him, and that's why he's coming to Jesus. Look at verse 18, how Jesus responds. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Says Jesus says, why do you call me good? 
And if you actually go back to the original manuscripts, if you look at the, the, the sentence, it actually appears that Jesus responds in a question. Like, me? Why are you calling me good? And then the Savior goes on to remind him that the living God is only the only one that can truly be good. But we know that Jesus is God, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. Therefore, we know Jesus is good. So why does he respond that way? Well, get this. You see, Jesus is responding to the man's judgment that he's good, right? Because this man has heard about all the things that have gone all around and that Jesus has obviously earned the title good teacher. But Jesus is saying, hold on a second, mister. I don't like the way that you're using the word good here. And if you're using it like, hey, good game, or good morning, or man, that was some good sweet tea. No, he's not using the title, the word good that way. Jesus is like, you don't know me. You don't know what good is. Only God is good by himself. Those things that you heard about me, that doesn't qualify me as a good teacher. That doesn't qualify me as good. God is good and God alone is good. And after he addresses this issue with him, then he responds to his question directly in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, and honor your mother and father. Here, Jesus is quoting from the second tablets of the Ten Commandments, albeit in a different order. And what I find interesting that these are the ones that Jesus chooses because these five are the ones that you can tell but the most from the outwardly expression of his relationships on whether he's keeping them or not. And so Jesus, this young ruler, hears these, hears these five, and look how he responds to Jesus in verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I have been a boy. Well, first of all, notice it says teacher and not good teacher. You think he listened to Jesus the first time? But yet still, he's pretty proud about his accomplishments in keeping those five commandments. And he says, not only have I not only kept them recently, I have kept them since I have been a boy. And that would have taken him back to at least the age of 12. Because you see, in Jewish culture at 13, he would have celebrated his bar mitzvah, which would have ushered him into manhood, and also would have signified his responsibility of keeping the law as an adult. She said, I've done this since I was a boy. So he is pretty proud of himself, his accomplishments. And, and he thinks... I got a lot going for me. I've done everything that you've held. He's healthy, right? He ran to God. He's wealthy. He's obviously a, a good moral person. He's got it all together. So he thinks. Despite this, despite his self-righteousness on the feet of Jesus, 
Look at how Jesus responds to him in the first part of verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love this. Here's this guy on his knees in front of Jesus. And this guy thinks he's hot stuff. He thinks he's got it all together. And Jesus pierces his eyes right through his actions, right to his words, right to his heart. And don't miss this. It's important. It says, he loved him. And that is true for every single one of us today. Regardless of all the stuff inside of us, no matter how good we think we are, how bad we think we are, that Jesus loves us just the way that God created us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Look at the rest of verse 21. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And what I love about this interaction is Jesus not only loves him, but he doesn't let him linger in the self-absorbed state that he's in. Jesus doesn't leave him there to, to, to feel good about himself. Jesus is saying, all that is good stuff, but you are lacking one thing. See, Jesus loves him enough to tell him the truth about what is going on in his life. Jesus is calling him out. You need to go. You need to sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then when you're done doing that, you need to come follow me. See, Jesus knew that this young man was worshiping his wealth and not God. That his money and his stuff had become his idol, become his God. And that this young man truly lacked a, an allegiance to God. You see, his riches were in the way of this relationship. And therefore, he was really breaking the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. This guy was busted. And look how he responds when Jesus confronts him in verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. His countenance changed his urgency and expectation turned to sadness, right? From an earthly point of view, this guy had everything. He had health. He had morals. He had wealth. In fact, it said he had great wealth. But when he was challenged about his allegiance to God, he turned from Jesus crestfallen and sad, and he walked away. He could not let go what was standing in between him and eternal life. And the sad thing is, we never hear from this guy again in scripture. Once he walks away, 
Jesus turns the teaching mode. Look at verse 23 in the first part of 24. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. They were caught off guard. The disciples were caught off guard by what Jesus said about the rich entering the kingdom of God. Because you see in Jewish culture and Judaism that, that, that riches were a sign of blessing and a sign of favor from God. Not as a barrier to enter the kingdom. And in the way they react, because of their amazement, Jesus repeats the point. Look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus says again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Notice that he calls them children this time. He's calling them children as a sign of their spiritual immaturity. Which is amazing. These guys have been walking with Jesus for three years. And Jesus is still calling them spiritually immature. And their response to the second statement by Jesus shows that they still don't get what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 26. The disciples are even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? The word used here for amazed means astounded, struck out of their senses or overwhelmed. And otherwise, these guys were blown away by what Jesus had just said. They're thinking, hold on a second. Just hold the train. If, if riches are a sign of God's blessing and favor, and it's, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, who gets in? How do you get in then? You can almost sense Jesus standing there with kind of shrugged shoulders, just kind of shaking his head. He's like, what are you guys thinking? And so in Mark, or in, um, Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus looks at them again and says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus says, listen, salvation cannot be achieved by man alone. He cannot earn it. That nothing you can do can bring salvation on yourself. You cannot earn eternal life. But Jesus then goes on to say, but with God, all things are possible. You see, what man cannot do on his own, God can. And what people cannot affect, God can and does by his grace. And this is what Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. See, it has nothing to do with us. 
and never to let an opportunity go by, guess who speaks up next? Peter. Look at verse 28. Peter says to him, we have left everything to follow you, exclamation point. It's like he's saying, Peter's still thinking materially. He's saying, Jesus, cut us a break. Why are you preaching to us? We, we've given up our job. We've given up our income. We've given up our homes to follow you for three years. But Jesus quickly retorts back at Peter in verses 29 to 31. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them what? Persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. See, following Jesus always results in tremendous blessing. And here we see that Jesus promises it a hundred times over. But let me be clear about something. This passage here, Jesus is not talking about prosperity gospel. He is not talking about seed faith theology and its promise of a hundred times return on your tithing. That's not what he's saying. This is hyperbole. That Christ is, Jesus is talking about what we gain from following Christ is far greater than anything that we give up to follow him. And we also see here that there's a promise of persecution as well. And we know from an earthly perspective that following Jesus costs us something. It costs us. Sometimes it costs us a friendship because our commitment to what God's word says, and many times friends will get into arguments and walk away from us because of our stance on, on uh, same-sex marriage or abortion or homosexuality. Or we have to leave a job, maybe even a lucrative one, because of illegal or deceptive business practices. Or sometimes even our family members will turn their back on us because we've walked away from the family religion to follow Jesus Christ. Following Jesus does cost us something, but the rewards are immeasurable. That's what Jesus is saying right here. And then he closes his dialogue in verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. See, Jesus is saying here that what we accumulate on earth really doesn't matter. That our rewards in heaven have nothing to do with earthly standards such as rank and wealth and position and title, length of time as a Christian, the amount and type of your sacrifice. It is simply based off of our commitment to Jesus and our willingness to follow him faithfully.
Now, as we wrap up our time together, I want to challenge you with three very tough truths that we see in this amazing interaction between Jesus and this rich young ruler and to see how it applies to our life today. The first point that I want to make is that being close to Jesus exposes our complacency. Now, many times we think of the word complacency, we, we want to translate it immediately to laziness. But that's not what complacency is, right? This rich young ruler wasn't lazy. He went running to Jesus in front of everybody. But complacency really is an uncritical satisfaction with ourselves. It's a sense of self-righteousness. And then when we tend to draw close to the Lord, he exposes this uncritical satisfaction that we have with ourselves. And man, when we do, it is painful. And just as the rich young ruler found out, it was, for him, it was too much to bear. He turned around and walked away. Right, this guy publicly and unashamedly went running to Jesus, threw himself on his knees in a posture of worship and admiration, truly asking what it takes to gain eternal life. He said, Jesus, here I am. Just tell me what it takes. So this guy is on the ground, truly believing from the bottom of his heart that he had kept all the commandments. Remember about how proud he was? that he truly believed that the Lord was his only God, that he had never made an idol out of anything whatsoever, that he had never taken the Lord's name in vain, that he had never worked on the Sabbath, he honored his mother and father, he never killed anyone with his actions or his words, he was not guilty of any sexual sin, he never stole anything, he always told the truth, he was satisfied with everything God had ever given him, and he never coveted anything that was his neighbor's. In other words, he stood before God truly believing that he loved God with all his heart, and he loved his neighbors as himself. Essentially, this guy considered himself to be blameless. And Jesus proved to him otherwise. Now, I think it's safe to venture a guess that none of us would be bold enough to launch ourselves at the feet of Jesus and consider ourselves blameless. However, I think it's also safe to say that too many of us are too comfortable and too complacent with where we are in our spiritual journey. We like to think that we're doing pretty good. Like, well, I go to Bible study and I do the homework, right? I come to church every Sunday and I raise both of my hands in worship. I not only participated in Operation Christmas Child, I did caring trees and I served the meal to the homeless. I give to the general offering, I also give to BTW and the Mercy Fund. See, somehow we think that these things that we do give us favor with God. And we fall into this trap and this set of complacency where we start feeling good about ourselves. Although 
we may not think of highly of ourselves as that rich young ruler did, we still need to be willing to drop on our knees before the living God and expose ourselves to him. We need to be vulnerable in front of him. Say, Jesus, show me where I am complacent. Show me what's standing in between me and you. And when we're able and when we're willing to do that, this leads me to my second point. Jesus forces us to make a decision. At the core of our being, we know that God is sovereign. It is a foundational doctrine to believe that the Lord is king, that he is sitting on his throne in heaven doing whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases to do it. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. We also know that Jesus' work on the cross is complete, that it is finished by coming into the world and dying on that cross as a sacrifice that he made peace with God for all people. Redemption is done by him alone and there's nothing that we can do to change any of that. Right, this is what Romans chapter 10 verses nine and 10 tells us. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in all your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. There is nothing in that that has to do with anything about what we do. So God is sovereign and the work of Christ is finished and yet we still have decisions to make. There is still something to be done. There are decisions to be made. There are steps to be taken. And when we're exposed in front of Jesus, a change of direction is required. See, all of us have these decisions to make in our lives. And these decisions matter. And I would argue that there are two great decisions that each one of us have to make. The first is we have to turn from our idols and our sins that beset us. And the Bible simply calls that repentance. That we must turn away from the things that are separating us from God or are interfering in our relationship with him. And then second, no matter where he leads us, we must decide to follow Jesus. Simply put, we have to believe enough in him to follow him. And that requires faith. You see, we have to repent and we have to have faith. Those two decisions are inseparable. Because you see, our sorries are not good enough by themselves. We have to follow it up with action. And in the case of the rich young ruler, he wasn't willing to do it. He turned around and he walked away. But it is clear throughout the New Testament that that's what Jesus requires us to do. Look at Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. 
John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they what? Follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Notice here, it says, follow me. It doesn't say, lead me. It doesn't say, wander around and look for me. It says, follow me. And so many of us in our spiritual journeys are looking for the next thing. And we miss the blessing of what's going on around us. And many times following Jesus is staying content where we are because he's the one who placed us there. And we shouldn't move until he tells us to move. And when he says to move, we should follow him. That's what Jesus is saying. Repentance and faith. Following Christ wherever he is leading you. Or asking you to stay. Like your marriage or your job or your community. It's doing what he is asking you to do. It is simply not enough to entrust yourself to Jesus with the kind of faith that, that does not manifest itself in a change of life. This is what Christianity is supposed to look like. So guys, we have a decision to make. When we're on our knees in front of our Lord and Savior, we have decisions that we have to make. And when we are unwilling to make those decisions, and this leads me to my third point, is that Jesus will let us walk away. See, this interaction between this rich young ruler starts with such promise, him running to Jesus. He's got this important question to ask him. You can see the scene. He's got this glow on his face. He's running with hope. He's running with expectation that he's going to get an answer. He's joyous waiting on him. But then after Jesus speaks truth into his life, he leaves saddened. He's, he's crestfallen and burdened. But why would he be crestfallen and burdened? He left with all his stuff. Jesus didn't take anything from him. He left with his riches. He left with his morality. He left with his righteousness. He left with his religion. Because he realized what was standing in between him and God was his stuff. And for him, that price was too steep of a price for eternal life. And he chose to simply walk away with his stuff. I find this amazing. Because we don't like to think of the Lord working this way. We like to think that, that God's love somehow wins the day and, and everything works out at the end. But this is not what Jesus does here. He gave this young man a decision to make and Jesus left him walk away sad. See, Jesus doesn't negotiate with him. Jesus doesn't soften his stance and say, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, 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 no, no, come back. You, how about if you only have to give up half your stuff? Was that okay with you? 
Or, or, or how about you keep your stuff and I could put you in this, this, this job in the church and, and we can give you some stuff to do and you can, you can keep it and, 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 and we can go about your day and you can keep your stuff and use it however you want. No. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus is looking for repentance and Jesus is looking for faith. And that young ruler was unwilling to do it. And he turned around, turned his back on Jesus, and walked away. And you know what? The same can be said about Jesus today. He will let you walk away also. He will let you walk right out those back doors, holding on to all of your possessions, all of your self-righteousness, all of your morality, all of your idols, all of your sin. He'll let you do it. Some already have. But remember, right? God is sovereign. He is in control. His desires will ultimately come to be. His grace is irresistible. And at the same time, we have decisions to make. And if we don't, he's willing to let us walk away. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't want to let us walk away. He wants you to love your neighbor as yourself, selling your possessions to help them if need be. He wants you to leave your old life behind. He wants you to walk away from your sin. And even if you've chosen to walk away before, he wants you to come back. Because as we saw earlier, he loves you. Remember that rich young ruler on his knees in front of him totally exposed? He saw through all that nonsense and it said he loved him. The same is true with you and with me today. Now for those that have not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, my challenge to you today is to make today that day. Don't be like the rich young ruler who said that the price he had to pay was too much. And I beg of you to repent of whatever is standing in the way of your relationship with Jesus. To put down whatever it is that's standing in between you and him and accept the gift of eternal life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. But do not let Jesus walk, let you walk away. Do not walk out that door content and satisfied with a self-guided life filled with the indulgences of a fallen and broken world. Don't walk out that door holding on to that idol or that sin and let it separate you. Don't walk out that door with a saddened face. For those that have placed their trust in Christ, my question to you is this. Are you living a vibrant Christian life 
with a willingness to do whatever Jesus is calling you to do. Willing to go wherever he is calling you to go, no matter what the cost is. And if you're not, my question to you is what is standing in the way? Are you like the rich young ruler? That your savings account and your income and your stuff has become your idol and is the center of your life instead of Jesus? Is your acceptance in an earthly relationship, maybe an inappropriate relationship, instead of finding your acceptance in Jesus? Or maybe your empowerment comes from your job title or images of pornography or drugs or alcohol. What is it for you? What is it that's standing in the way of leaving, living a life with an unguarded spirit and heart following what the God of the universe has put in front of you? See, today we all have choices to make to become resolved to live a life of repentance and faith or to allow Jesus to let us walk out that door with a saddened face. What is standing in the way of you and Jesus today? What is standing in the way of you getting down on your knees in front of our Savior, exposing yourself to find out where you are complacent? What is standing in a way of making the decisions that you need to make to follow him wherever he is calling you to go? What is standing in a way of you being brave enough to repent and to follow him faithfully and not walk out those doors saddened? What is standing in the way? I'm going to ask the pastoral staff to come down front. And guys, I'm going to challenge you. I want you to take out a piece of paper, your bulletin, something in your wallet, whatever it happens to be. And on that piece of paper, I want you to write down what God is speaking to you right now. What is that thing that is standing in front of your way of either accepting a relationship with Jesus Christ and securing your eternity in heaven Or as a believer, what is standing in a way of following him with total abandonment? And my challenge to you as we sing this song is to get up out of your seats and in a symbolic way is to come down front to these crosses and to drop that piece of paper at that cross saying that you are willing to put down whatever is between you and our Savior And we would be honored to pray with you as you drop off those papers. But make the choice today to put it down and don't turn your back on Jesus and walk out those doors with a saddened face.